0: Sports Talk New York with your hosts, Mark Rosenman and A.J. Carter. Sports Talk New York is sponsored in part by Prince Associates, Send in the Clowns, The Phoenix Tube Company, CelebrityTrips.com, The Law Firm of Decolator Cohen and DePrisco,
1: Solomon Jewelers, and Relish Restaurant of Kings Park. Here are your hosts. Mark and AJ. Joining us now is a man whose resume includes the following sections. Actor, voice actor, comedian, producer. Prior to April 5th of last year, he was probably best known for starring in The Simpsons for the past 28 years, voicing most uh, Abu, Chief Wiggum, comic book guy, and many, many others. His screen credits include his memorable performance in The Birdcage. I-, I know, AJ, that's one of your favorite performances of all time. Mine as well. Godzilla, uh, Mystery Alaska. Thanks. I know you didn't see it, this is a hockey movie, but right. I loved it. America's Sweetheart. Shattered glass, along came Polly, night at the museum, and many, many others. And on,
2: but on stage, I did see Spamela.
1: Yes, you did. Push. Only time will tell, but I have a feeling that his role as a title character in IFC's Brockmire may eclipse all of that, which is saying something as he's a six-time Emmy and a Screen Actors Guild Award winner. Over the last ten years in the show, we've had some of the greatest play-by-play men ever. But this week, I am pleased to welcome the greatest fictional play-by-play man the world has ever known, the one and only Jim Brockmire, the real-life Hank Azaria to WLIE Sports Talk New York. Welcome, Hank.
0: Hey, guys. Well, that's quite an
1: introduction. You know what? And I I had to edit it because there's just so much that you've done. And I have to tell you, first of all, I have to admit, you're the first guest in 10 years that I've literally stalked on social media to get you on the show. I'm not proud of it, but I'm a huge fan, and it worked. So I appreciate the fact that you're on and you didn't call the authorities. Uh, before we get to Brockmeyer, which by far is one of the funniest things on TV, we have to talk a little bit, Simpsons. Moe, Wiggum, Abu, comic book guy, uh, Cletus Spuckler, uh, Professor Frank, uh, Nick Rivera, so many. Uh, you know, I grew up on Jerry Lewis, so I'm partial to Professor Frank, but I'm wondering if you have a favorite and how you go about, you know, creating the persona of the various characters you're given. Um... I
0: guess Mo would be my favorite because I'm from Queens and Mo kind of sounds like he's from Queens. And uh, um, he's the character that's been most developed over the last 30 years. And, you know, those guys write the characters, and I, you know, think of a voice that would just in my head sound like it would be appropriate. (laughs) And sometimes they specify it, sometimes they don't. And the characters are just. Impressions of people, you know, either celebrities or friends of mine or family members of people I grew up with, sometimes they're good impressions, sometimes they're not so good, but even in bad impression, it's sort of a good original character voice <laughs> So like that.
1: You know, I mentioned that I grew up on Jerry Lewis, and for some of our younger listeners, Jerry Lewis is not a drug like Molly. Go look it up, you know, in some of the clips. But another staple of my childhood was Mel Blanc, and another thousand voices. He was born in San Francisco, California, to Russian Jewish parents. I bring that up because you're a son of Eastern Sephardic Jewish parents. You grew up in Queens, New York. So I'm wondering if growing up in a household where your parents spoke a foreign language as well as probably English with an accent, is that conducive? Is that maybe what the foundation of your mimicry comes from?
0: Um, I don't. It's a good question. I mean, my parents—they were bilingual, but they were—they um, they did not have an accent. Uh, but uh, you know, growing up in New York, you hear every accent under the sun. I certainly did. Growing up in Queens, I don't know. I think it's more of a genetic thing. In that, you know, because it, it doesn't like mimics or not. Um, you know, uh, ethnicity-dependent. I think it's more about having plastic vocal cords or not. You know, it's just, you either can do it or you can't. And I think it's somewhat related to, like, having an ear for music. I do not have a good ear for music. I'll have an ear, but I have an ear for voices and sounds.
2: So Uh, as as you go to record any of these with the different voices? How do you sort of keep your mind, remember to keep the characters straight? This is, you know, this voice and this is that one, and this is a brand new one because it's coming in for the first time.
0: <laughs> um, I, it, like, doesn't, that doesn't, it's not even a problem. It doesn't enter my mind. I think part of the ability of being able to do that is you don't confuse it. Like, it's just second nature. It just, you just can hear something and mimic it, and you know how it sounds.
1: I mentioned Mel Blanc. Did you ever get a chance to meet him and talk to him? It, like, it, I, I'm surprised. I'm, was he ever on The Simpsons? I can't believe that he would not have been a, a perfect get for them.
0: He was not ever on The Simpsons. Um, and he was certainly a hero of mine growing up. I mean, I grew up, you know, my hero, I think, was Bugs Bunny. And then, like, by the time <laughs> I was 11, I learned that that was a guy. <laughs> so, and my hero became Mel Blanc. Uh, and, I was, and he still, you know, we talk about this the Simpsons, a lot, like, he remains, there's him and everybody else, and that's not like humility or false modesty. He, he, he was in a class by himself completely, both for originality and range and just humor. All that stuff still holds up, you know, it's still hilarious.
1: It, it, uh, he's actually the cause for one of my favorite lines in ever, a movie ever. In um, was it Night Shift, the Henry Winkler movie, where I think um, Ron Howard's brother, Clint Howard's in it, and he goes, "Yeah, he's watching the Flintstones." He goes, "That Barney Rubble, what an actor!" <laughs> it's, like, yeah. so, it's like one of my favorite lines. He but, was right. Yes, yeah. I said
0: that all the time. You know, Mel Blank he had when he did the Flintstones, he had had a terrible car accident on Sunset Boulevard in L.A., and he recorded all of those. Uh, Flintstones from like um, from a bed wow. he was completely bedridden in his house and they just brought the microphone and hung it over his bed and recorded all that uh, supine
1: you know the cool thing of, of cable TV and all these advent of all these stations like I was watching the Jack Benny show but and Mel Blanc was a character in the well, Jack Benny show. The, the,
2: the, the, the c so yeah, the yeah, sisters yeah, yeah. Sue. Yeah. Yes, that. it was very A great cool. bit, a great so bit. So
1: you mentioned you were born in Queens, uh, the borough of the New York Mets. I once heard you say that being a Met fan is very difficult. No one chooses to do it. You're either born into it or you're thrust upon it. So which of those two were you?
0: Um, I I was born into it. I mean, I <laughs> grew up in Queens. The earliest memories I have are, you know, uh, going to Shea and... My dad was not a big sports guy, but uh, my uncles were. We were all Queens people, and it just went without saying that, you know, we were Mets and Jets guys.
1: So it's very cool because one of Jim Brockmeyer's signature trademarks is his red blade, uh, red plaid blazer, which I have to let you know that on all of Long Island, in every thrift store, Mark, Salvation correct. Army, Goodwill, there is not one because I so wanted Mark, Mark to me wear this one This morning today.
2: he told me he's going to go shopping to try and find one because, <laughs> you know, we're, we're streamed here. Right. You
1: know, on, I think I meant about, about the last
0: one. Uh, yeah, it was definitely inspired by Lindsay Nelson. Sure. sure. Yeah, and, sure. uh... In my memory, Lindsay always seemed to wear some plaid, which I guess he wore most of the time. But he also wore much more outrageous things than that, which I had, I had forgotten. But uh, the night, this, we this Meyer started as a short on Funny or Die like eight, nine years ago. And just the night before we were going to shoot that short, I just went into a thrift shop. I lived in L.A. at the time, on La Brea Boulevard in and knew I, I knew I knew the right sport coat when I saw it, and and there it was, <laughs> just hanging on the rack. I got it for like eighteen dollars. Things one I wear.
1: It's hysterical. Because my wife went with me, and she keeps pulling things off the rack. I go, no, no, no! no. no. I, I said, look, this, and I showed her a picture. I go, it's gotta look like this. Couldn't find it. They don't make them like that no, anymore. They basically, don't, right. we
0: can't even. We tried. We've tried to find a duplicate. We can't find it. That plaid, I believe, is the uh, is the material equivalent of this voice.
1: <laughs> oh wow. man! So so, music, books, movies. The key to grabbing you know your attention is that the hook, the first five minutes, first five minutes of season one of Brock does that. Mm. I I. What, what was you've to, done? Yeah. you th-
2: done what six or seven times today so far. Yes, I've done mean, the it's, just,
1: it, it's the best. But um, <laughs> and for those of those that have not seen it, you have to go and watch it. But the way you intersperse baseball play by play (laughs) with what was going on with lucy's escapades at home how much of that was scripted how much of that was ad-libbed and aj and i like i said in the open have been blessed we've had ernie harwell we've had marv albert and at the end of those interviews i always tell them that i could sit and listen to them read the phone book because of the cadence of their voice and jim brockmeyer is right there too how difficult was it first of all for you to not crack up you know when you tell the the young audience at home you know a strap-on is an apparatus that mommy's use I mean how were you able to keep that together how many takes did it take and how much was ad-libbed
0: Not much of it was ad libbed, except for whatever specifics of the count. I'm. I, it doesn't really matter whether the balls <laughs> yeah. in there one or two, or just misses outside. Doing one. That doesn't really matter as long as you give a, a, an authentic, accurate count as you go. But other than that, it was completely scripted. I mean, that was one of the. You know, Harry Shearer on The Simpsons does Ben Scully. Okay, and and. In Brock, and there's an episode of Brockmire where young Brockmire in season one, where young Brockmire is listening to Vince Scully. That's actually Harry, and his his Vin Scully is so good. It's one of those impressions you can't tell it's not Vince Scully. It, it, it's that dead on. And we, for over the years, the Simpsons, uh, Harry and I have talked about. It was really Harry that drew my attention to how comedically how, how funny it is. That baseball announcers can say anything they want as long as they give the count right now. <laughs> <at it. laughs> and so over the years, we started, and you know, occasionally you would hear that. Like, I remember, like, Phil Rizzuto, for example, even though I'm a Mets guy, but, you know, talking about whatever Italian meal
2: it was going to be had right, the night yeah.
0: before and going off on these weirdo tangents <laughs> and then peppering the count in there always struck me as funny. And then, you know, towards the end, right, uh, of his career, Vince Scully started kind of going more and more on these uh, political or social rants with the count peppered in there. <laughs> and we were just, you know, I, for a long time I thought it would be funny to push that to its extreme. Like what if a guy had a nervous breakdown on the air, just was completely inappropriate, <laughs> and yet kept giving you the count. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and the home run call on that was priceless as well. But it, it's interesting you bring that up because, you know, the the different – Scenarios that the play-by-play announcers would go through. AJ and I, over the course of ten years, have been lucky yeah. enough to have various comedians, and one of our favorites are Robert Klein. Right. And, yeah. and before the show, we were both talking about our favorite, our favorite,
2: the Fred Capasella, who
1: was a, a track announcer here. And he did Frank, uh, uh, Fred Capasella at home having dinner, and he says, "I want the mashed potatoes on the outside." And he did this yeah. play-by-play. Right. You take that to the next level in a scene where you and Jules are making love. Forget about political rants. That was television gold how difficult is it to stay in the character when you're doing voiceover work you're in a studio you have a mic you can get in character you're there with amanda pete in bed you know talking about during you know brockmire taking the missionary how do you am, do that well,
2: how many takes does it take before you get it get it you know without having to break up laughing basically is mark's question
1: you know i don't really
0: break that much uh amanda couldn't get through it <laughs> uh you know, having a guy pretend to have sex with you while in baseball announcing it into <laughs> your face is a little too much for her, uh, and she ruined a lot. In fact, if you what ended up being in the show is her just kind of laughing because we just didn't have any other takes where she didn't. Or she never not to, laughed at it. Or um, asking you to shoot her. Kind of yeah. made it like, yeah. Yeah. yeah, her character just found it really amusing. Uh, I know it's very rare that I'll. You mentioned Spam a lot. There was an actor in that who's actually gone on. He's won two Tony Awards. Getting Christian Borle, yeah. who's gone on the great heights, and yeah, that so was something. Like right was terrific. One of his first shows back then. That guy killed me. Yeah. And in Spam a lot, he would often just—I couldn't look into his eyes on stage because he was so ridiculous that he would often make me go. Um, but it's pretty. Rare. Ben Stiller and I, since we've worked a lot together, and sometimes Ben and I just. Uh, we It just occurs to us how ridiculous the dialogue we're saying to each other is. Sometimes we've had problems on sets getting through things. But I don't usually, I w- you know, Amanda could barely ever get through anything. She <laughs> found the voice really funny, but I, I never have a problem with that.
1: Now, you co-wrote uh, Brock Meyer with Joel Church Cooper. And I might be, I, I've seen the show so many times because it's so nuanced and there's so many undercurrents that, If you're just watching it for the comedy, and maybe I'm reading too much into this. That's why I wanted to ask you. Morristown, Pennsylvania is depicted as a pretty depressing town in the Rust Belt. Banking it's come back on one of two American institutions. You have baseball and the energy from underneath the shell, the the fracking of the shell in Morristown, where the ground... Spontaneously starts burning, um, and the frackers rebrand themselves because you know from the savages, which, and you only know that because of the logo, which is maybe the most offensive logo you know more than the Cleveland Indians. Um, how much of all those undercurrents were intentional? Is it also somewhat a political statement as where we are today? Is it also pokes fun at the internet. Like, the first episode, what what Jim says about, you know, people's most embarrassing, lowest points where millions of people watch it.
0: Oh, listen, that was all... I didn't co-write it with Joel. I came up with much of the story of season one because I had had a long time... In the same way that, you know, like bands, their first album is great, and then it's hard for them to create another one because the first album was a <laughs> result of many years, and the second album it's like, what do we do now? So that first season... From a story standpoint, I mean I created the character and I wrote the short, um, that a lot of the, the comedic premises like the meltdown and the booth and the cheating wife and all that stuff. But Joel is the one really he writes them himself with a few of his uh handpicked writer compatriots and that was all Joel seeing all the, the sort of seeing Brockmeyer as kind of a an old school guy who much like baseball itself is trying to you know, find itself in the modern era, as is exemplified by the way that the internet is this newfangled thing that he can barely grasp. And um, seeing the political, um, the statement about uh, you know small town America, you know, it used to be in the same way that used to be what we, what what could you know a, a minor league team was like was like the jewel in a in a town's um, crown and. And now it's just going on this kind of disrepair where the values of baseball are like a distant memory. All that is, is Joel. I mean, he just, not to mention the, the alcoholism of the character. Like, <laughs> I just had him drink that much because just to justify having a rant like that. How else would you possibly drink <laughs> out like that on the air unless you're a black guy drunk? But I never really thought about the implications of the sadness and kind of semi-tragedy of a guy like that. Mm-hmm. That was all Joel.
1: It's so nuanced. It's, it's so great. Season one had so many great moments as well as great cameos. I am still shocked when I watch it and I hear, I, I, first of all, to see Joe Buck at a urinal, first of all, was like, <laughs> oh my God, this, where is this going? And for him to say, um, yeah, yeah, I was brought in, in Florida, yeah, of course I've had a finger stuck up my, and we can't say that on radio. Um, did those guys, I mean, because it was also Dan Patrick, Rich Eyes, and Tim Kirchin, they all appear on the show. Did any of them come with things that their network said, "Listen, you absolutely can't say this on television?"
0: No, I worried about it with Joe, but yeah, so. Joe's just game for whatever. <laughs> he just really like bring In fact, I had to ask permission I'm like, "Joe, is it okay if I make this, you know, your mom's dead joke?" <laughs> Cuz you know, his mom actually has passed away and He's like, yeah, sure, no problem. Oh, wow. And these, uh, so he—I think all those guys are really psyched to kind of shed their normal constraints. And you know, they find the character funny, and they've been all of them have been so supportive from the beginning. So, no, they've been really good. Although so other, fo- like Frank Deford, who's a hero of mine, we sent, we asked him if he'd do it, and he said yes. Then I, then he read the script and said, <laughs> no, I. <can't."> oh wow. <laughs>
1: Uh, you know, I mentioned the cameos. There's so many great moments in season one. Uh, for me, my favorites are you uh, snorting the abortion pill. Uh, another <laughs> yeah, favorite which, moment, which, which, but which I, I
2: watched right. this afternoon is pretty fun. Uh,
1: another visual that mm-hmm. I, I can't get out of my head, unfortunately, is you doing the Kirk Gibson in, in the nude. Um, but for <laughs> me, probably the greatest line ever uttered on on television is "Knowledge and assumptions. Those are like Loggins and Messina. They seem similar." But time proves one of them to be completely worthless. As a younger viewer, I actually had to go to the (laughs) Internet and find out. But (laughs) it's just so well written. Such a great line. (laughs) What's your favorite moment of season one?
0: Uh, You know, I have season two so in my head because we just finished putting it all together. And uh, we should send you guys.
1: I, 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 I saw it, and uh, um, and unfortunately, we don't have a, a Jeter or Piazza to give you after this uh, show. Sorry.
0: <laughs> uh, but I'm so filled with it. I, I mean, again, that's a great Joel Church Cooper line. Uh, my favorite episode was definitely that abortion episode yeah. and, and snorting. <laughs> uh, that abortion pill was, was definitely my favorite. I don't really have a, a single... Moment though, I mean, oh well, it's so dirty. But like most, but that monologue about you know strolling through the woods in Lithuania and what he came upon, <laughs> the, the the F stump, shall we say, that was absolutely ridiculous.
1: It's, it's... Um, I,
0: that watch, say what, saying that that you know F bomb, particular the version of the F bomb. Was hard for me to get through
2: without
1: laughing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we have three minutes before we have to, you know, go to break. Casting so important to the show. Uh, you look back, and if I'm not mistaken. You were actually in the running for the role of Joey in Friends, a part that would go to Matt LeBanc later. You had a recurring role um, as David on Friends. But looking back, could you ever imagine a different Joey? I mean, we could not. But if you look at Brockmire, Amanda and Tyrell Jackson Williams are so perfect. Were there other people up for the role? And what what about these two make them so perfect?
0: Well, in the case of Tyrell, I've never, I've told him this, I've never, we auditioned a ton of people, and I've never seen it, I've auditioned many, many people in my life. I have never seen a bigger difference between one actor and everybody else, you know, auditioning for the role. I mean, usually there's like, yeah, there's a second and third choice, and they're not as good as your first choice, but they're close, and... This was like him and everybody else to the point where I think we were going to have to reconceive the role if we didn't get Tyrell because nobody else was making it work. The answer to that is I I, I only ever saw Tyrell able to do that. A kid like that who's wise, because Tyrell really is like that. He just turned 21 last week, actually, and he's way wise beyond his years, and, and he's a very gifted writer as well. The, and Amanda was our first choice. We never thought we we we'd get her, you know. We just assumed that she would say no, and we were we were so psyched. Um, and I, you know, I think Marissa Tomei had expressed some oh, interest wow. in the role, and I was really psyched to have her okay. do it. In fact, um, I, I was really I, I just assumed she would do it because I just I I just didn't think Amanda would. And then, but the network wanted us to go to Amanda first, so we did, which I assume was a formality. And then she. By none and you know, she was incredible. She's in season two as well. I know if you've seen the whole thing. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's great, great stuff. Um before we let you go, we got a minute. Um I you know, I hate doing this, but if you could give us a, a few Simpsons voices or a, a Brockmire you know, outro, we'd love it.
0: Well, you know, Mo refuses to do any of this kind of thing. I talk to him, but he, he simply will not So that's out. Chief him, quite frankly, is yes. It's too stupid to do it. He wants to do it. He just doesn't <laughs> yeah. know how to do it. Uh, Professor Frank, of course, uh, would do it, but he's uh, quite busy in the laboratory. Uh, and Jim Brockmeyer is, uh, well, he's way too wasted to do
1: it. <laughs> Hank, love I have to, to tell it, you.
2: Uh, he won't remember tickets. any of this. Yeah. So, before uh, we leave, April 24th. April 24th. That's that's April right. Mayer, 25th, 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 Which is actually 25th, your birthday. 25th. So, happy
1: birthday. 54th with the 54th birthday. Yeah. 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 Right. So, you know, I have to tell you, 10 years of doing this show, there are interviews that I've so looked forward to. Some have disappointed, some have, you know, exceeded the bar. This is way over the bar. Thanks so much. We really appreciate your time and love the show, Hank.
0: My, and I'm sorry I was late. I blame my assistant who forgot to remind me. And if she doesn't do that, then I, I literally, I don't think I've I literally left my body part certain places. <laughs> no,
1: worries. <laughs> no worries. No worries at all. Thanks didn't so much. Say,
0: uh, pick up your arm. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, nice to talk to you guys. Thanks Thank, for having me.
1: Our pleasure. The great Hank Azaria.